Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here today with Philip Kerr, the author of, among other things, the New York Times best-selling Bernie Gunther series, the tenth of which, The Lady from Zagreb, was just released. Philip, welcome. Uh, thanks. Nice to be here, Stephen. Let's get started by giving listeners a sense of the series and your series protagonist, Bernie Gunther. This is the 10th book in the series, so let's just go back to the beginning and talk for a little bit about uh, the series itself. Uh, yes, I mean, it was a long time ago I started this. I was uh, I was still a young man then. Um, <laughs> hey, you and I were born, I, I saw uh, somewhere online that you and I were both born in the same year. So uh, we were both a young man at one point. <laughs> 56, yeah, yeah, it was a good year. It was, uh, so, um, I, yeah, I was in my, probably about 30 when I first started writing these. Um, I'd done a post-grad degree in in. German law and philosophy as a as a, as a young younger man, and I kind of got interested in the whole uh, phenomenon of of Nazism from a philosophical point of view. How it you know what the psychological cultural conditions were that had made it all possible. How this moment of madness mm-hmm. um, possibly created the most uh, important historical moment in European. Uh, in Europe since since the Reformation, and so that was that was my starting point was to try and understand the why it happened. Um, and I also, like a lot of English people, I was sort of fascinated with Berlin. Um, you know, people like Isherwood, who'd written Cabaret, and Len Dayton, and John Le Carey, who'd written The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. I mean, the English have always had this fascination with Berlin. It's just it's like it's a state of mind. So um, I kind of came through the back door of, of crime and thriller writing, you know, in that um, I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to write about the place and the people and the period first. And because it was difficult to find information out in those days, and much more difficult than it is now, um, I realized that I was sort of, I was, I was a bit like a detective. Mm. And, that um, you know what, I thought, you yeah, know, well, maybe a detective is probably, the, you know, a good place to to, to to start to write about you know so I mean it would have been no point in writing about an insurance salesman you know? <laughs> uh, the good thing about writing of a detective was you know the kind of ex- some exciting things could actually happen and uh, see I'm kind of lucky because I, I, again and where I started was I, I thought um, Raymond Chandler had lived in London he went to school in London at Dulwich College and I thought what what kind of novel would he have written if he'd gone to live in Berlin instead of instead of Los Angeles? What kind of Philip Marlowe would we have had? Um, so that that was a kind of another uh, a thing I had in in mind was to sort of um, to write that. But you, you, the thing is, it, um, I'm luckier than him because he, you know he goes to Los Angeles and the most he can ever hope to encounter is a sort of bent DA and a corrupt mayor and a, and a <laughs> uh, you know, a cheating casino owner. Great point. Uh, and, a, and a few fast women. Uh, whereas Bernie, um, you know, well, I, if I ever run out of ideas, I can just wheel on some of the worst villain, real life villains uh, in, in history uh, straight into the novel. And it's interesting because Bernie's German. It's written from the perspective of, of a German. He was a former homicide detective who's now working as a private investigator. And it, it's a different perspective on the things that were happening back then than we're used to. I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the point is to try and um, see it from the German side, see things from what it's like to be, in, in Bernie's case, a patriotic, decent-minded German who loves his country but sees that it's been hijacked by a bunch of crooks and thugs and 
killers. And has you know, there's a there's a great line in that film Apocalypse Now when Captain Willard is reading his documents on the boat, uh, and it says you you're to go up up river and and you know kill Colonel Kurtz because he's a murderer, and he says, well, you know, you know, charging somebody with murder in Vietnam was like handing out speeding tickets at the Indianapolis 500, <laughs> and that's kind of where where Bernie is, you know, the idea of actually investigating murders when you know millions of people are being murdered in the background is something that uh from a writer's point of view is is fascinating it's it, i love writing about sort of uh, governments and hypocrisy and so like in the last novel i wrote bernie was asked to go and investigate the Catton forest massacre which just really did happen uh, and the deaths of four thousand polish officers and he knows, everybody knows that, you know, 20 miles away, there was a concentration camp where tens of thousands of Jews had already been murdered. So it's, that's the kind of hypocrisy is great for a novelist to, to actually write about. And it, it makes it very easy for Bernie to take on this world-weary appearance that so many private detectives have in, in popular fiction. It's, it's well-earned in, in his case. It certainly is. I mean, he's uh, he's a bit like me. He's got a very black sense of humour, uh, quite often very cruel sense of humour. He's a bit coin-operated. Again, that's like me. And um, and yet he's a romantic. He believes in love, and he love he likes uh, attractive, intelligent women. Uh, again, like me, um, and usually women who are much more intelligent than him, which is again like me. I love women who are clever, uh, and that's what I think we've lost this. Uh, sense. I mean, especially if you look at cinema, you know, you never you never see women who are allowed to be cleverer than men. I mean, the last great film I saw with a really smart woman was a wonderful film with Linda Fiorentino called The Last Seduction. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that. God, she was brilliant because mm-hmm. the, every guy in the was so much dumber than she was, and it was just wonderful to see the way her mind worked. Well, this, this is a great transition point to to get into the lady from Zagreb, which features a film star who's highly intelligent. She is. She's highly intelligent. She's from originally from Zagreb. She's uh, works for what was called the UFA Babelsberg, which was the main film studio. Um, they you see when the Germans, the Nazis, took over the government, they took her over over everything. And Goebbels found himself. Doctor Goebbels found himself. As well as being the minister of propaganda, he found himself as the head of the the German film studios, which was useful for him because, of course, he had a great predilection for other ladies, and uh, he loved uh, actresses and he uh, and showgirls and had affairs with many of them. So um, this uh, the, the the actress in in uh, in the title is someone who's, uh, who's uh, Goebbels wants to cast in his new picture, which is sort of a piece of romantic nonsense and fluff, uh, and she's not really keen to do it. And she's less keen to do it because she knows that he wants her to have an affair with him. Um, and so she sort of more or less sort of uh, bends him over a barrel and says, well, look, you know, I'll only, I'll only be involved in this film if you can help me out because my father... Uh, who's a who's who's a Croatian has sort of disappeared in Yugoslavia, and I'd really like to get in touch with him again. So, Goebbels asks Bernie Gunther if he could uh, perhaps help out here and go uh, to Yugoslavia, uh, which was an awful place to go. I mean, it really was awful at that particular stage, um, and sort of poor Bernie sort of finds himself rather like Captain Willard in um, Apocalypse Now, having to sort of go up country. 
uh, in search of this this poor woman's father, uh, and in, all along the way encountering one horrible thing after another. Well, let's let's talk for a minute about this being the tenth book in the series. I know that can be intimidating to listeners who hear who might not be familiar with the series and hear this and say, "Oh my God, the tenth book in the series! Sure, that's too much. I I can't read this. I have to go back to the beginning." Not true at all in this case. This you don't need to have any background in the series to read this. In fact, the books as you've written them are not sequential. That's true. I mean, I like to sort of. I mean, it's one way of. Making sure that the author stays interested is, <laughs> you know, that you know you switch it around a bit, you mm-hmm. change locations, you change time periods. Um, yeah, so they're all kind of meant to be standalone, self-contained, uh, because you know the longer a series goes on, you know, you, you're right, you can't presume that the the, re- the reader has read all of your previous novels. In fact, I think that's probably a, a disadvantage. Um, you know, I like it's it's the, there are none of them that particularly um, you have to read before you. You've read, you know, the, the the next one. Yeah, you're right. So I, 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 that's 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 done on purpose. Now, for someone like me who has a great affection for old black and white movies and mm. glamorous movie stars of the past, I was tickled to see that uh, you, the, the female protagonist in the story, Dahlia Dresner, uh, mm. was based in part on Hedy Lamarr. She's there's a little bit of Hedy Lamarr in her. There's a little bit of another one called Lydia Barova. Uh, there's uh, there are other actresses mentioned. You know, they're all slightly jealous of each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, great, the 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 thing I find most fascinating about Hedy Lamarr is that at, at one stage I would say she was almost certainly the most beautiful woman in the world. Certainly in my book, you know, if you've ever seen her, if you've ever seen Victor Mature and her and Samson and Delilah, you know, I defy anyone to <laughs> find a more beautiful woman than Hedy Lamarr. I mean, I think she made Elizabeth Taylor look sort of second rate. Uh, but as well as this fabulous-looking woman, she had a wonderful brain. She was yes. incredibly clever. Um, uh, and um, few people would actually know that um, she devised um, a gyroscopic process for a torpedo. Um, and she worked it up and designed it and did all the maths and then proceeded to donate her invention to the American government um, so that they, they could develop a better torpedo to win the war. Uh, and it seems unthinkable, you know, an actress mm-hmm. could be so clever and so technologically adept that she could do this. Uh, and sadly, I don't think she was ever properly honoured. I think poor Hetty died in almost poverty. You know, she'd been arrested for stealing a sandwich in Los Angeles. And you think, well, you know, why wasn't this person just looked after a little bit more? Um, because you know, and, and if, if if you can donate donate uh, congressional medals of honor posthumously, I, I I'd like to make a case for Hedy getting one now. I had heard that that she was incredibly intelligent and had done some work for the government, and and just not any detail at all. I had no mm. idea that she had working on something that was that complex. Well, not only was it complex, but at one stage she wasn't even allowed to talk about it because it was classified. Her own invention was so good, so uh, but it, it was so good, it was top secret. Um, and so for years, poor Hedy was, uh, you know, who'd done all this work, couldn't even talk about it because it was, it was classified information. <laughs> now, you, you have a 10-book series here, and I, I understand you're working on an 11th. This is a great opportunity for someone to create a film series or a television series or something, and I, I read somewhere that Tom Hanks was somehow involved in something like that. Uh, well, I've certainly talked to Tom about it. Tom's a big 
Second World War fan. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, he did Band of Brothers and the Pacific and... Um, so we've talked about it. Um, you know, whether it, it happens or not, I don't know. You know, there's the, an awful lot of things need to happen before it'll get made. Um, but, you know, I sort of, I, I, you can get diverted as a writer, you know, into worrying about what's happening in Hollywood. The best thing is usually just to focus on the next novel and uh, and just, because I've, I've sold stuff to film studios before and it didn't come to anything. So, uh, you know, I, it's kind of, take the money and run and look at the uh you know it's it's like an arts council grant that you get from from hollywood you know it sort of keeps you going for a while ah good good way of putting it so many people take the money and they just obsess on it <laughs> I mean, i'm going to have a movie made and uh, that, going to work yeah. on the next book is is a much better thing to do oh definitely yeah i mean i like to sort of i like to sort of look to the future and and just think, you know, uh, do something that I can have influence over, you know. Once once you've made a deal with a studio, you've got no influence over it at all. You know, you, you become almost sort of, um, you know, almost irrelevant to the proceedings. So it's best just to sort of... You know, just get on with stuff that you can actually have control over, which is which is your next book. Yeah, I guess it could in it could be horrifying to see what they actually do with the series. <laughs> well, that's true. I've had a number of friends who are writers who've been to the cinema and seen film versions of their novels who've had to bite their tongues coming out of the of the theatre when they met the newspapers and when they said, "So, what do you think?" And you, you, they've had to say, "Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good." Um, <laughs> when actual fact, they just wanted to go away and curl up and die. Actually, I had a similar experience. I did a TV uh, show uh, years and years ago for the BBC, and um, I mean, they managed to systematically take out everything <laughs> that I'd put in. Oh. Um, and they, they rang me up afterward and said, "Yeah, we were thinking about doing a follow-up, another series." And I said, "You know what? You couldn't afford it." And that was it. Well, Philip, I know you're on a tight promotional schedule. Um, your book is available wherever people buy books, right? That's true. Yeah, you can look for it on uh, in penguin.com and all good bookshops and philipkerr.org, and it should be in the shops right now. And that was my last question. What's the best way for people to stay up, stay up on top of what you're doing, be alerted to new books, things like that? Is uh, it your website? Yeah, philipkerr.org. All one word dot org. I mean, you know, I'm I'm pretty hopeless about social media and all that. You know, <laughs> I, I keep being told that I've got to have it, but I don't know. It's not something I'm good at. Well, I, I hope you're good at at least sending an email message out to your list saying, "Hey, there's a new book coming out." Yeah, <laughs> let's <laughs> well, hope so, <laughs> Philip. It's it's been great speaking with you. I love the book, and I wish you all the best with it. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. Those will help other crime fiction readers find great new books, like The Lady from Zagreb by Philip Kerr. Thanks for listening.